Howell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's energy-efficient windows keep the cold outside where it belongs, lowering energy bills. Get 0% interest up to the year 2029 if you book by January 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right. As I was saying when I was talking to Steve Scafidi, I, I, there's the old cliche of that you can't judge a book by its cover. But but there are many occasions where it is completely and totally appropriate. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. You will see my point. I asked Eric Bilstadt to hang around for a minute. Now, here is the story. It comes out of Monroe, Wisconsin. Now, the story is 70-year-old veterinarian marries a somewhat younger woman. She She's 50. Okay, so that that's that's the deal. Seventy and, and fifty. Nothing wrong with that. Her name is Amanda Chapin. Um, she takes the husband's name. He is Gary Chapin. All right. Apparently, according to the criminal complaint, they get married in March. And this is not exactly a marriage made in heaven. It sounds like it's a marriage made several steps below that. Following the wedding, Amanda, this is the 50-year-old, forges the signature of one of her husband's children on a power of attorney document. So, okay, Eric, you with me on this? Okay, okay not she, a good sign. So she's married. Okay, so she forges the her the, the signature of, of the son. Then she goes to her husband, and she demands that he amend the deed to his house so that if anything happens to him, she gets the home. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, sure. Because yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's set up like it goes into trust or something. So, okay, so you marry this younger woman, and she, she's saying, if anything happens to you, I want the house. I want to sign the paperwork. Now, this is right after they get married. Now, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm closer to 70 than I am to 50 or 40, but I'm trying to think if I married a woman 20 or 30 years younger than me, and, and that was the first thing, honey, I want you to sign <laughs> over stuff. Okay. I, now. I, I, I'm starting. To, I'd, I'd be a little bit leery. I'd be sleeping yeah, with I one understand. eye open. Okay. All right. So he does. He, he does do that. Now, he's a veterinarian. So apparently, according to the complaint, within three weeks after signing over the house in case he, he dies, she starts poisoning him. Um, apparently, what she's doing is she's taking animal, she's like animal tranquilizers and stuff, the things that you give the horses and all, and she's putting it into his coffee. <laughs> okay. oh, wow. And, and so she, she doses him like three weeks after he signs this over, and, and that, that apparently doesn't kill him. So then she does it again a few weeks later, and that doesn't kill him. So um, early August, she does it again, according to the criminal complaint, and he falls into a coma that lasts for four days. So the, the, the kids are now wondering, gee, why is this, this happening to Dad? So they do blood work, and they find that there are barbiturates in his system that comes from drugs that you use to euthanize animals. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so she's giving him this stuff that you use to, you know, kill cats. Okay, so um, apparently then, while he's still in the coma, one of the sons goes out and files a restraining order against her on her his on her father's behalf, and he has now filed for divorce. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. You, you think that. According to the criminal complaint, they also then get a restraining order. According to the criminal complaint, she has violated the restraining order by sending her still husband, who she allegedly tried to kill, a note via email writing that she had decided to kill herself. 
because his children would destroy her. The only thing I'm guilty of is loving you so much. Oh, sure. Would you like yeah. some more coffee? Anyhow, so that that's the circumstances like behind this. Now, you, you can. I'm going to show this to Eric because we're sitting here in the studio, but if you follow me on Twitter at JeffWagner620, you can do this yourself. We, we always say you can't judge a book by its cover. I have in front of me and posted on Twitter, I've got the mugshot of this woman. Now, Eric... That is what she looks like. <laughs> now, now, what a lovely woman. Now, now, I mean, I guess when you hear that story, if you were trying to conjure the mental image of what does some woman look like, she marries this guy decades older than her, co- you know, forges his son's signature on a power of attorney, convinces him <laughs> to sign a quit claim deed, turning over interest in his house to her if he dies, and then poisons him with stuff that you use to, to, uh, to kill animals. Now, I'm telling you, <laughs> that, that particular picture right there, oh my that, gosh. that would be it. I feel I like say. she stared into my soul. <laughs> exactly. Those eyes, wow. Well, I, I, you know, she, she might be on the market sometime soon, you know, if this whole thing works out. So if, if you want to see this story, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But again, it's just, it's, it's one of those deals. And I, I don't, I would be curious as to how they met. You know, I mean, it's just like, huh? Here, you know, <laughs> huh? Like my, I'm just so my wife said to me this morning, "Honey, you want some coffee and things like that?" You, you know, second so, guess that for a second. I, well, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, I, I don't know. But I mean, it's like I say, this, this was not the perfect marriage. But you know, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but I guess love Til is death one. To them part. Tell death do them part. Absolutely. Hey, by the way, as long as I've, I've got a number of these like little stories that we're going to be talking about often on, and I'm going to be interspersing them during the program because I want to make sure we get to them before the weekends. Do you remember, I, I think the movie Animal House is one of the best movies of all time. It's just, maybe it's just part of my generation and stuff, but it's one of the movies where I, if it's on TV, I watch it, I can do almost all the lines of it. And one of my, one of my favorite lines is comes towards the end of Animal House and the, the characters, the John Belusi character and a couple of the other characters are, are sitting in, they're standing in the office uh, ahead of, in front of, Dean Wormer, who is the the evil Dean, who is like trying to describe, and he's getting ready to like throw these guys out of college, and then they're going to be eligible for the draft and all that sort of stuff. And at one point in time, the character Flounder, who is played by I think Stephen First was his name, he, he's just standing there, and he, he's he's a relatively you know rotund guy. And at one point in time, the, the Dean Wormer character says, "Son, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life." Which I, I think there, there's, you know, I, you know, I understand you can't say that nowadays because it's politically incorrect. But I just, I've always loved that line. Which brings me to the story today in the local newspaper: man charged with stealing items from Brewer's Clubhouse at American Family Field. A 25-year-old Milwaukee man has been charged with felony burglary after admitting steal to stealing items from the Brewer's Clubhouse at American Family Field last year. And the guy's name is Justin Bladorn. Here's the criminal complaint. Bladorn attended the Brewers' doubleheader on September 8th against the San Francisco Giants with his roommate and his roommate's father. Bladorn said he drank at least 10 beers before leaving the stadium. 10 beers. Okay, now for a lot of us, or at least for me, way before 10 beers, I, I'm... You know, bad things are going to be happening in my body. But he drank at least 10 beers before leaving the stadium, and he passed out in some bushes 
outside the stadium. So he gets blind drunk, passes out in the bushes. When he eventually woke up, this is according to the criminal complaint, Bladorn said he walked up to the door of the stadium and began pulling on it until it opened. All right. That's wonderful. So you got this dead drunk guy who's passed out in the bushes, and now he's like forcing his way in. So he pulls this door open. Bladorn then found his way to the Brewers Clubhouse and began taking items from the locker room. Okay, so you're dead drunk, you've passed out in the bushes, you kind of come to, you force your way into a side door, and I know where the Brewers locker room is, you get underneath the the stadium there. So he goes into the locker room, and then his response is, I'm going to start stealing crap from the locker room. A Brewers strength coach said several items were taken from his office, including a work backpack, a laptop, two iPods, a Walkman, two pairs of headphones, a passport, Passport. Who steals somebody else's passport? Two pairs of sunglasses, a credit card, personal notebooks, and calendars. Two items were also removed from manager Craig Council's office, including a jersey and a shaving kit. And a Brewers equipment manager said a game-used hat, an autographed baseball bat, a 45th-year anniversary 1982 Brewers signed bat, a replica World Series ring, and keys to the Arizona Spring Training Facility were also stolen from his office. So th- this this drunken buffoon has now busted in, he's into the locker room, and he's treating it like he's a kid at a candy store. Detectives also discovered the two Brewers players' game-issued jerseys were taken from the clubhouse, and a small locker bag with baseballs and pitching training devices were taken from the coach's locker room. Which raises the question, how do you carry all this stuff? I mean, you're, you're dead drunk, you've just kind of sobered up enough to force your way in, and you're stealing all this crap. I, I mean, it, it's, you wonder if the guy had a shopping cart or something like that. After he was finished in the locker room, the complaint says, Bladorn ordered an Uber home with his items in tow. All right, so you've, and I'm imagining you'd love to talk to that Uber driver when you pull up to pick up the, the drunk guy who's been in the bushes and he's now got just armfuls and armfuls of stuff that's there. Um, let's see, some of his activities were captured on a surveillance camera, which tells you that this guy is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. While detectives were on scene investigating the burglary, a call came into dispatch from Bladorn's roommate who said Bladorn had items from the clubhouse. The roommate told detectives that around the seventh inning of the second game, Bladorn went missing. Once the game was finished, they still couldn't find him and eventually took the shuttle back to where he had parked. Later that evening, the roommate began to receive text messages from Bladorn showing photos from inside the stadium. Ah! A clever criminal, too. We've now broken in. Let's take all sorts of pictures of us. Bladorn then asked his roommate if he wanted anything from the stadium and if he could get a ride home. (laughs) Here, I'm here. I'm in the Brewers' locker room stealing everything that's not nailed down. What can I bring you? The roommate declined and told Bladorn that he was on his own. Eventually, in the early morning hours of September 9th, Bladorn arrived home via an Uber carrying a duffel bag filled with Brewers' stuff. Detectives eventually went to the residence where they found Bladorn sleeping it off. When he woke up, he admitted taking the items, gave consent to search the apartment where detectives discovered a majority of the items taken from the clubhouse. If convicted, he could face up to 12 years and six months in prison. Okay, I guess when I'm reading the story, I'm, I'm going back to the old Animal House show, and I'm picturing, you know, Dean Wormer looking at this case and this guy. I'm just picturing this Justin Bladorn standing in front of the desk and him saying, you know, son, now I don't know if the guy's fat or not, but drunk, stupid, and criminal 
is no way to go through life. So, you know, it's one of those deals where, you know, you went to the Brewers game on vacation. If he's lucky, he's going to come back on probation, probably going to do a little bit of time. Went on vacation, coming back on probation. (sighs) Justin Bladorn, today's really stupid criminal. And we got some Smuggler's Blues by the late Grant Glenn Fry. On Sunday night, if we win, we're in. Green Bay plays Detroit with a playoff berth on the line. We'll have a day-long coverage. We'll have day-long coverage on WTMJ Sunday at noon, leading you up to kickoff at 7.20. As soon as the game ends, we'll be live with instant reaction and expert analysis. The best coverage before and after the game is on Wisconsin's radio station, News Radio WTMJ. Okay, a couple more, couple more of these just stories that have caught my attention. The, the drunken idiot who decides to go in and somehow gets in the Brewers' locker room and decides to loot it, oh, gee, there might be surveillance cameras. I mean, again, sometimes sometimes criminals are tough to catch, and sometimes they're just kind of low-hanging fruit. And Justin Bladorn, in this case, he was, was low-hanging fruit. And then you've got the gal who decides to try to poison her significantly older husband by giving him the stuff that you use to tranquilize, to, to euthanize animals. And, huh, Right after she's talked him into signing over the uh, <laughs> signing over the um, the information about the, um, the 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 house. All right, so here's here's another story, and this is it, it's not by the way funny. It is it is aggravating. The, um, the the way one of the news stations covered this is is kind of peculiar. Um, Channel Twelve. The headline in the story is man charged in fatal New Year's morning fatal crash never had driver's license. Man charged in fatal New Year's morning fatal crash never had license. Okay, that, that's, the, that's the headline. Guy didn't have a driver's license. Now, I appreciate it. I'm somebody who carries on on a regular basis about the fact that, you know, you have all these people that just drive without licenses or after revocation time after time after time. But here's, here is the story. This is the way one of the other TV stations presents it. Milwaukee driver killed Menominee Falls man was drunk on, was drunk on meth. Juan Felix Avendano, 21 of Milwaukee, was drunk and high on meth when he slammed into a vehicle carrying a Menominee Falls family to church on New Year's Day, according to prosecutors. Juan Felix Avendano, 21, um, let's see, is charged with homicide by intoxicated use of a vehicle, among other charges, for a crash that killed 52-year-old Craig Shimming. Shimming was in the front passenger seat. His 76-year-old father was driving. His 78-year-old mother was a passenger in the back seat. They were taken to the hospital in critical condition in the ICU. The criminal complaint states the father was diagnosed with a brain bleed and the mother was on life support, believed to be paralyzed from the neck down. So this is really, really, really bad. Prosecutors say Felix Avendano admitted to drinking and smoking crystal meth before the crash. Police responded to a crash near 98th and Good Hope January 1st. So this was in the morning. Two vehicles were involved, a Volkswagen driven by Avendano and a Toyota. Apparently what happens, the speed limit on Good Hope Road where the crash happened is 40 miles an hour. And Good Hope's a major thoroughfare. I think everybody probably knows where, like, 98th and Good Hope is. It's kind of out where sort of by um, Dretzka Golf Course and things like that. It is believed that um, Felix Avendando rear-ended the Toyota at a high rate of speed. His car had severe front-end damage. So you've got the, the, 
the 76-year-old dad, the 52-year-old son who's in the passenger seat, and the mom's in the back. They apparently are rear-ended. Um, the guy who rear-ends them, um, the speedometer was stuck at 110 miles an hour. So they're on their way to church. This guy plows into them at 110 miles an hour. An open bottle of beer was on the driver's floorboard, and a beer can was in the back seat. He was taken to the hospital for treatment of his injuries, where an officer noted he appeared to be intoxicated. They do a, did a blood draw. Um, his blood alcohol content was .147. Okay, 0.8 is the legal limit for intoxicating. So this guy's closer to being double the limit than he is to being sober. In an interview with police, he told investigators he had two drinks before getting into his car, had two more on his way home. Once home, after he hung up with his wife in Mexico, he said he smoked crystal meth and drank about four beers, but continuing to drink because he could not remember how much. He did not recall leaving his house, but recalled the accident and getting out of the wrecked car. He admitted he never had a driver's license. So you've got a guy who's drunk to the gills, high on crystal meth, driving 110 miles an hour. And, and yes, it's true that he, he doesn't have a driver's license. The, again, the, the headline on Channel 12 is, man didn't have a driver's license. Well, no, he didn't have a driver's license, and I acknowledge that that is a problem. But but there's all sorts of other problems way beyond the fact that he didn't have a driver's license, namely the fact that he was high on crystal meth, he was blind drunk, he was driving 110 miles an hour. I, I don't think the car was stolen because they didn't say that, but that if you would put the car is stolen in, that would be, of course, you know, that then you'd have the superfecta of, of really, really bad behavior. But otherwise, this guy uh, checks off all the various boxes, and you have one person dead, you have uh, the mom who, who might be paralyzed for the rest of her life, and the father who has a brain bleed, all because this idiot got into a car and drove in this sort of reckless fashion. And I don't, you know, one of the frustrating things that we talk about with this, I don't know what the answer is. I, I mean, do I think we should start towing cars when we catch people who are driving without licenses? Absolutely. Do I think we should start putting people in jail? And I've argued this before, you know, earlier, we talked about this yesterday, reckless driving, instead of giving somebody who's, it's their fourth reckless driving, instead of giving them a, a $50 ticket that they're not going to pay anyways, you know, I think it should be like drunk driving. First offense might be like a civil forfeiture, but after that, I think you should start going to prison, and I think you should go for progressively longer periods of time, maybe in an effort to try to get some of these people off the street. But if you ask me, Jeff, how do we deal with somebody who doesn't have a driver's license, who's going to get blind drunk, who's going to get behind the wheel of the car, who's going to be high on crystal meth, and who's going to drive 110 miles an hour and ultimately kill people, I don't have a good answer other than to say, whenever we get these people, we need to put them away and put them away for a long time. So, yeah, it was a deal, big deal that the guy didn't have a driver's license. But in honesty, it was a bigger deal that he had all these other things that were going on. And once again, you have innocent people, in this case, on their way to church on New Year's Day, whose lives in one case have been ended. In the other cases, they've been irrevocably changed, all because you've got this punk who decides that he doesn't care about anybody else and he's going to do what he wants to do. Happy New Year. There are three people who didn't vote this time. You know, it's, I'm, I'm looking at the math. 213 vote for McCarthy, four vote for Jordan, three vote for another Republican. So that's that's 220. There's actually 222 Republican representatives. There's 212 Democrats, 211 voted for Jeffrey. So three people didn't vote this time. Typically, we've seen uh, lawmakers vote present. 
But that nobody voted for president. There's three people who didn't yeah. vote. Um, so who knows? I, I just nobody knows exactly what the end game is with this. Other than it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that is one I, word. It's just yeah, if, right. If it's if it's not a mess, it will do until a real mess gets here. And the interesting thing to me, Eric, is that the House of Representatives can't do anything, including nobody can get paid. That, right, that's none, right. none of the aides get paid, you know. So that's what makes people. you think they're going to move this. On, you know what I mean? Like you can only get away with the shenanigans for so long before something has to give, right? Especially if you're preventing people from getting paid, including yourself. Yeah, shenanigans. I thought. I thought I, for a minute there, I had my finger on this button here because <laughs> I thought you were going to use a different word other than shenanigans. But yeah, okay. Well, we'll 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 say shenanigans <laughs> at the time. Yes, it's not a good look. Hey, speaking of not a good look, when we come back. Two years ago today, do you remember where you were? Well, I know Eric and I remember where we were. We were together watching all this craziness on at the, at the U.S. Capitol. What is the legacy of January 6th? We'll discuss in a moment. So, very glad to have you with us. Yeah, we'll continue to keep you updated. Um, it, it, this is now like the um, 11th, 12th ballot that they have taken. Um, in the past, there were as many as 20 people who were opposing Kevin McCarthy for the speakership. Now that's down to seven. Um, so you're starting to whittle this down a little bit. But whether that's enough to get to the number you need, that's another story. All right. I remember where I was two years ago today. Matter of fact, I was sitting behind the microphone here at WTMJ. Now, we were located at Capitol Drive instead of our new studios on the Avenue. But I, I can remember I can remember watching this transpire. To kind of go to sort of go back in time a little bit, you will remember that January 6th, two years ago, 2021, was the day that the vice president was supposed to, we were convening, for what would be the, the the formality of certifying the the election, and of course, former President Trump w- was fighting that. He was rallying his supporters, encouraging them to you know stand up and and make a difference. And he, of course, had given a, a somewhat, well, or maybe very, depending on your perspective, inflammatory speech earlier that day. And then we all know the story. A number of the people that attended that rally decided that they were going to march down to the Capitol. And then a number of the people who marched down to the Capitol decided that they were going to storm the Capitol. And you can remember the the vivid pictures of people pouring up the stairs, getting into skirmishes with members of the Capitol Police, storming through barricades. And then the images of people like the guy that was dressed in the like giant buffalo suit and stuff, you know, breaking into the offices of Nancy Pelosi and other people looking for Mike Pence. The call was hang Mike Pence, the former vice president. And um, while this all happened, I think a a number of us and I, I remember those were my comments as I was just kind of watching this happen in disbelief was was where was Donald Trump? And apparently Donald Trump was sitting there watching this on, on television instead of making timely demands for, you know, the people that were his supporters um, to, to stand down. Because, you know, theoretically, you know, Trump talks about, hey, we're, we're the, you know, the Republicans are the party of law enforcement and things like that. You know, you should not be engaging with the Capitol Police and things like that. Um, since that has happened, there have been a number of things which have occurred. There have been massive prosecutions 
of people who were involved in again you, you can you can call it an insurrection you can call it a riot use whatever word you want to use but you've had hundreds and hundreds of people who have been charged criminally and have in fact been convicted of various offenses for you know their role in storming the capitol latest developments is that uh, trump is being sued personally um in connection with the death of the capitol police officer arguing that uh, the man's death was a direct and foreseeable consequence of Trump's role in the mob violence that occurred that day. On the other hand, supporters of those who were involved in in the riot, or again, insurrection, disturbance, call it whatever you want to call it, um, those those people have in some cases been viewed as, as patriots. There's a story in the Washington Post today, supporters raise millions to rebrand January 6th rioters as patriots. Um, and it's talking about how you have a number of people who are supporters of the people who stormed the Capitol, who formed prayer change, instigated letter-writing campaigns, organized vigils, and raised millions of dollars for the legal defense all with the aim of supporting the 932 people who thus far have been federally charged, who are viewed in the minds of some as valiant patriots, prisoners of conscience, persecuted for engaging in their First Amendment rights. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, two years. We've had an opportunity to reflect on this. I want to open up the phone lines and discuss your reaction. First of all, it doesn't seem like two years ago. Sometimes, you know, we, we have these occurrences, and 9-11 is one of those. And whenever we do our anniversary program on, on September 11th, I, it's always like in some respects it seems like it was forever, and in some respects it seems like it was just yesterday. This was two years ago, and i got to acknowledge, it doesn't seem like it has been two years. But now that we have the, uh, the ability to kind of step back a little bit, we're, we're not – we're not as much in the moment. 932 people have been prosecuted. Donald Trump is out of office. He's running for president again, but he's under investigation with the House Committee recommending to be charged in connection with his involvement with this. People raising money, claiming a lot of the people that stormed the Capitol that day were patriots. And I will say this at the outset. I, there's, there's a lot of phrases that you can use, but patriots is not one of them, at least in my opinion. But what is the legacy of not, of, of January 6th, 2021? And as you think back on the events of that day, two years later, your reaction to it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Let's discuss. We talk about it in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. During the break, I saw my producer, Charlie, who was kind of chair dancing to the guys. The guy's theme. Um, yeah. All right. All right. The legacy of of January 6th. It was two years ago today. Here's one of our texters. Jeff, it was one riot out of hundreds that year. Unfortunately for the people participating, they did not realize that only conservative riots have any consequence. Um, the people who burned down cities all during the summer of 2020 spurred on by Democrats have no consequence. Two comments. First of all, that, that that's not true. And and look, and I, I, I understand rioting is rioting, and that's not true. A number of people, for example, with what went on in Kenosha, a number of people were prosecuted and have been prosecuted aggressively 
for the riot. And what happened in Kenosha in the summer of 2020 was, in fact, a a riot. There's no other way you can describe it. So I, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, there were no consequences for the civil disobedience for the rioting for the stuff that happened in cities. So I'm not sure that that's fair. Secondly, I, I do think that, I mean, look, I, I understand that there's a riot and there's a riot and you get into, you know, you're starting to, if you're going to kind of split hairs, well, what riot was worse, but this, this was, this was an attack on the Capitol and it was the intention of at least some of the people. I'm not saying all 932, but it was the intention of some of the people who were doing this to try to stop the orderly transition of government. And that's 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 a big deal. That That's different from, hey, I'm going to throw a brick through a window. And I'm not endorsing in any way, shape, or form or minimizing the impact of somebody who throws a brick through a window or throws a Molotov cocktail or something. That is a big deal. It needs to be prosecuted. But but January 6th, we've never had this happen, I, I think, at least in recent history. I mean, um, where where you have a number of Americans who decide that what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to use violence in an effort to prevent the peaceful transition of power. And I don't believe that all 932 people who were prosecuted were part of that. I think some people just got caught up in the moment and they decided to you know, go into, into the Capitol and they were trespassing and they deserved to be prosecuted. But clearly there were some people who were there that they, they were looking for Nancy Pelosi. They were looking for Mike Pence. And, and that's that raises this to a different level. And And I do think... Again, if there's people that are, are giving them money, the, these rioters, insurrectionists, terrorists, whatever term you want to use, if they're giving them money um, because they think they're patriots, that, as we frequently say on this program, you know, channeling back to the old Robin Williams line, that, in my opinion, is God's way of telling you that you have way too much money. Let's start with Bob in Twin Lakes. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Love I, your program. Thank you, sir. And... Uh, I, uh, I agree 100% with prosecuting those people that uh, uh, entered the Capitol building. Um, guilt by association is also part of it, I think. Uh, our country needs to get back on the right track. And I do have a question. Uh, whose responsibility, who's ultimately responsible for Capitol security? You, well, I mean, I think I think it, it's I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. I mean, obviously, it starts with the Capitol Police. Um, and I, I think, you know, it starts with the Capitol Police, but there's a number of other agencies that play a role in that. I guess what's your where, where are you going with that? Well, I just wonder, the Capitol Police, do they report up to someone? And I, I know that there there was knowledge ahead of time that there was going to yeah. be trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I th- no. Thanks so for who co- do they report up to? Well, I think I mean thanks for. Co- I mean ultimately, I think that the Capitol Police ultimately work for Congress. I I, I believe, um, but I, I think you know that's hopefully something like this doesn't happen again. But I mean, to your point, I think one of the the fair questions to ask as we move forward is, you know, what why wasn't law enforcement better prepared for this? Because it's very, very clear to me, and I, I remember this at the time. I mean, I do remember this like it was yesterday. And I'm watching all these people, you know, storm storm the Capitol, and you've got just a, a relative handful of police officers. 
who are, are responsible for, for keeping back the tides. And they were overwhelmed. If, if, you know, if we want to use the Kenosha riots as an example of this, you know, one of the reasons in Kenosha, in my opinion, it got so very out of hand is you had the, the authorities, the civilian authorities, who the first night and even the second night were absolutely overwhelmed. They were outnumbered by the number of protesters, rioters, whatever. They, they just did not have the manpower to deal with this. And I think the same thing was true on, on January 6th. They were just overwhelmed. Now, by the way, I do not believe that everybody who attended this rally on January 6th is is a terrorist or an insurrectionist or a rioter. Matter of fact, there were lots of people who, who went to the speeches who didn't go to the Capitol, or a number of the people who might have marched down to the Capitol didn't enter the Capitol. But it's very clear that, you know, over a 1,000 people or around a 1,000 people at least did enter the Capitol, maybe more than that. They were trespassing. They all deserve to be prosecuted, some to different extents. But this it was a dark day in American history. There's just no way you can... There, there is no way you can downplay this. And I understand there's some people who say, well, you know, the media made a bigger deal of this than they did of some of the, the civil disturbances during the summer. At the same time, th- this this is different. Um, and I'm not minimizing, like I say, the stuff that happened in Kenosha, but this was an attempt, at least by some people, and maybe they were urged on by President Trump, maybe he inflamed this, maybe he wanted to see that happen, but th- this was an attempt to prevent the orderly transition of power in this country. And that's what I think definitely does distinguish it from other sorts of things. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Okay, my thought here is that um, uh, if if that was like a Black Lives Matter type of thing, these guys are thinking that's uh, patriotic and they want to give money to these people, I just don't think that would have happened. You know, I mean, our capital is more important than the mint, where they make the money at. So I think that anybody that was entering in like that, it should have been more shooting than anything else because, I mean, you can't get a hold of those important papers. And it's just, you know, I, I, I didn't see not one Mexican or one black person in there. It's all white. You know, now, you know, if they were wrong, they were wrong. They ought to go to jail. And they ought to stay in jail because, um, you know, I don't blame it on Trump. I blame it on them. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, there's right. Well, right. I mean, thanks. For, I mean, th- th- I agree with you to the extent that Trump, Trump, he, look, I, I will tell you, I don't know if I would have ever voted for Donald Trump again, but I, I became I became a never again Trumper on, on, on January 6th, 2000, you know, 2021. I, I just did. I, I thought his behavior after the election, the refusal to accept the election, the fact that rather than campaigning for Republican candidates in Georgia, it, it was all about him. I, I thought that was probably disqualifying. And then his behavior on January 6th, which whether you think it rose to the level of being criminal or not, and that's a decision that other, you know, that prosecutors will have to make. I doubt he is ever charged with anything in connection with that. That's just my guess on what ends up happening. But, you know, maybe somebody's going to take a chance at otherwise. But regardless of whether it rises to the criminal level, it, it's nothing to be proud of. It's just nothing to be proud of, and it's not the way responsible leaders behave, even if you feel that you are aggrieved. You know, we are a country of laws, and it's clear that you had people who were engaging in lawlessness, and they're, they're certainly, whatever else they are, they're, they're not, they are not, you know, patriots. Jeff, I don't think we should forget the people that occupied the Wisconsin State Capitol protesting Scott Walker's um, rulings. I don't think that's any different. Well, 
interesting you mentioned this. The, what the texter is referring to, you know, is what happened in the aftermath of like Act 10. And you had people who just took over the Wisconsin Capitol and you, you had lawmakers that were threatened. There wasn't anywhere near as much violence. But it, it's clear, I think, that that in many respects was, in fact, an insurrection as well. And, yeah, I, I believe because the mainstream news media around here was in many respects sympathetic to the Act 10 objectors, the the flip side of that never never got as much coverage. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that they should have been charging everybody who was in the Capitol, though I think they should have been charged with trespass and, and things like that. And, and it clearly got downplayed. But you can point to things like that. And you can say, okay, well, we should have been harder on the people that did this back in 2011. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but that doesn't minimize the significance of what happened on January 6th. And again, I have no sympathy at all for the people that stormed the Capitol. I have no people at all, put sympathy at all for the idiots that are in Nancy Pelosi's office who are trying to get Mike Pence. I wonder what they would have done if they actually had been able to get the vice president. Now, thankfully, we're, we're never going to find that out. But I think one of the legacies, the other, if you want to look at a positive note about this, one of the positive things that come out of January 6th is the fact that it didn't work. in the country and our institutions... It did not work. I mean, ultimately, what happened was the things that were supposed to happen did. The election was certified later on that evening. The thousand or so people who stormed the Capitol, they weren't able to essentially engage in in a coup of this to the extent that that's what some of them were trying to do. The system ended up working. Joe Biden was inaugurated as the president. Joe Biden is the president and will be until the expiration of his term, you know, two plus years from now or so. That, so the system worked. That's important. You might say the system was fragile. You might say the system was threatened. You might say, gee, what would happen if they got a hold of Mike Pence? Don't know any of those stories. But at the end of the day, it worked. That's also one of the legacies of January 6th, that our system of government is perhaps stronger than some people might think. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. What do they say? A broken clock is correct twice a day? Uh, and it, it's one of these ideas. I, I, there are certain politicians... Some are local, some are statewide, some are national. And when they take a position on something, generally speaking, my advice is find out where these people are and then go the other way, and, and you'll, you'll generally be right. I, I had a, a neighbor place where I used to live, and um, it was always I was always interested in yard signs. I don't believe that yard signs move the needle at all when it comes to voting. I mean, have you ever really decided to vote because your next-door neighbor has got a sign up in their yard that says vote for Tony Evers or vote for Scott Walker or whatever? But having said that, so I, I had this neighbor, and he would put signs up on various, like, local races, the school board and stuff that I wasn't really paying attention to, and he was what I would call a contraindicator. If my particular neighbor was voting for Charlie, then I knew you go the other way and you're going to be right. Then you, you go for, you know, you go for Scotty. Go for Scotty instead of Charlie if my neighbor is supporting Charlie. So in that respect, because my neighbor was always wrong on these different issues. It was just no question about it. There is a Milwaukee politician, a long-term alderman, 
Robert Bauman, who fits into that same category, he's been the alderman forever, and as a general rule, if you want to know where you stand on a particular issue, find out where Bob Bauman is, go the other way, and you will be correct. But, interestingly enough, and being fair, like I say, a broken clock is correct twice a day. And there's an idea that Bauman has that, candidly, I think has a lot of merit, and I want to discuss it with you. Now, we talk on this program on a regular basis about the the out-of-control, reckless driving that, that goes on in, in southeastern Wisconsin in general, and Milwaukee in particular. We, we discuss how you take your life in your hand. Let's, let's take a little survey. In the last week, let me see a show of hands for everybody who has seen somebody on the road drive in a completely reckless fashion. Whether, oh, my producer Charlie hand just went up. Whether it's, I don't know, driving 80 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, whether it's blowing through a red light, whether it's, you know, trying to pass you on the right. They call that the Milwaukee slide. Pass you on the right, you know, in the bike lane or something um, or the parking lane to kind of get around you. Uh, again, blowing through the red light. Just um, last night as I was coming home from work, I, I just – and this wasn't Milwaukee. This was, you know, uh, this was in Ozaki County. I'm watching this guy, and I'm getting ready to make a turn, a left-hand turn. Light turns yellow, and I'm kind of in the intersection. And I'm watching this car. I said, "This guy's going to go through this red light." And it wasn't even, it wasn't even close. I mean, the light was way red and had been yellow for a long time. This person just accelerated to probably double the speed limit to blow through the, this light. But but you see that and, and you prepare for it. So we, we have a huge problem with, with reckless driving and irresponsible driving. And if you are a regular listener of this program, you know you know what my approach is. My approach is let's toughen the laws and let's start locking people up. As we discussed in great detail yesterday, I think it's ridiculous that you can't go to jail for reckless driving. That it's just, okay, you get caught for reckless driving, unless you hit and kill somebody or something like that. You get caught for reckless driving, you get a $50 ticket. Then you'd get caught for reckless driving. The next time, you get a $50 ticket. There's a state legislature, a Democrat out of Milwaukee, who says, well, I, I want to increase the the fines for reckless driving. And and my point is, why bother? I mean, because the, the people that are doing this, by and large, they don't care. They're, they're not going to pay the tickets anyways. And they're just going to continue to do it, which is why I believe that for reckless driving, as I was saying earlier in this show, it should be something like drunk driving. First offense, okay, maybe treat that as an ordinance violation, a civil forfeiture. But after that, yeah, second time you get caught blowing through a red light in 90 miles an hour, yeah, you're you're going to go to jail for a little bit. And then if you do it again, you're going to go to jail for a longer period of time. So I, I believe that, that ultimately the solution is more aggressive law enforcement and getting people off the streets. But that's that's a long-term problem. It doesn't stop doesn't help you when you're driving through the city street, the light turns green, you start to go through, and you have the guy that blows through the intersection at 90 miles an hour. That doesn't help you when he slams into you. So here's the idea that Bauman has, which I think is interesting and well worth consideration. And they report this on the website Urban Milwaukee. The, the argument is that the city should consider taking all their traffic lights and having them flash red from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. So in other words, what you're doing is you're turning all the intersections in the city of Milwaukee that are controlled by a traffic signal, and you're turning them into a four-way stop. Now, you might say, Jeff, why would you, why, why would you do that? 
we know what what's the the purpose of that because the people that are 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 going to blow through the red lights they're going to blow through the red lights and and yes you're correct to that but the idea is for the innocent person the person who's driving through the city and says okay i've got the green light i have the right of way so i'm going to go into this intersection um you might protect them by making them stop instead of just going ahead, because then they stop, they look both ways, and maybe they're going to see the idiot driving, you know, 100 miles an hour and say, okay, I, I'm not going to go, as opposed to being surprised and having the right away. Now, I understand that there's an aspect of this that punishes the good driver, that says, hey, you know, if you've got the right of way, why shouldn't you be able to, you know, just, just go ahead? But the truth is, Given the enormous number of reckless drivers and given our inability, at least at this point in time, to get them off the streets, this idea says, okay, maybe by treating all the intersections late at night, overnight, as a four-way stop, maybe we can protect some of the innocent people, the folks who would be in that quote-unquote wrong place at the wrong time, because instead of saying, hey, it's green, I've got the right away, I'm just going to go ahead, you make them stop and you make them look. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Old National Bank talk and text line. Now, obviously, again, the, the, the big, the answer to this sol- the solution is arrest the reckless drivers, get them off the street. But that's, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. If you would do something like this, do you reduce the possibility that that innocent driver is going to get caught up in this, that they're going to think they have the right of way, that they're going to get into, again, the wrong place at the wrong time. I think it's an idea that is definitely worth considering. And, you know, I, I've been kind of thinking about this, and I will tell you, driving around, especially downtown Milwaukee, there's a lot of times when I'm actually glad I hit a red light because instead of just, like, going ahead and proceeding on the green, you hit the red light, you come to the red light, you come to the stop, and then when it turns green, you look left, you look right, and you see exactly what's going on. I think, again, I understand to an extent this, quote-unquote, punishes the decent drivers, but at the same time, as long as there's all this recklessness out there, doesn't doesn't this make those people safer? 855-616-1620, what do you think? We discuss next. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. See, I, I'm I'm all in this particular section of the conversation. I, I'm all about trying to do things that protect innocent people. I'm sick to death of talking about stories on this program on a daily basis about you know some couple that's driving through an intersection and get hit by some idiot running from the police or high on crystal meth or driving 95 miles an hour because they think they're fun and, you know, running red lights and smashing into people and killing people. I'm just, I'm tired of that. And as I was saying earlier, I I understand that the response is let's get those people off the street. I am very much in favor to that, but that's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. So I think this is kind of an interesting idea that one of the aldermen is floating from 10 at night till six in the morning Take all the traffic lights, and you need the Department of Transportation to sign off because some are related to state highways, and, and have them essentially turn them into four-way stop signs. Have them flashing red lights. Will that stop the idiot from driving 100 miles an hour high on crystal meth and blowing through the light? No, but it, it may 
may protect the person who would otherwise be driving through that intersection thinking they have the right of way, because they do have the right of way, from getting killed when the guy blows through the, the intersection. That's I think you could do that without inconveniencing people too much. Is it bowing down to the criminals to an extent? Yeah, I get it. But if it keeps people alive while we make a decision that we're going to start prosecuting and getting the reckless drivers off the street, I, I'm all in favor of it. Let's start with uh, Jim in Appleton. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Um, I've got a nephew who lives in Los Angeles and some number of years ago, and I was visiting him, and he said there was such a problem out there that they made it a $1,000 fine for running a red light, and they've got a lot of their intersections with cameras. So mm-hmm. even if you didn't get caught on the spot, they could still, you know, yeah, catch you later. But... Uh, he said that seemed to slow it down at the time. I yeah. haven't talked to him lately. But. Yeah, I mean, I guess, Jim, I, mean, I think, I mean, part of the problem is that that fining people, okay, maybe that makes a big difference to you and me. You know, it's a $1,000 fine and points on your license and stuff. Part of the problem is a lot of the people who are, in, not everybody, but a lot of the people who are engaging in the reckless driving, they... They're not going to pay the fine. They don't have driver's licenses, for goodness sakes. They're, they're drive, they've never had a driver's license, or they're driving while they're revoked. You know, you, you name it. They, they, don't, they don't care about that. So you can give them tickets, and you can fine them, and you can take away their licenses, but it's not going to stop them from, from driving. So I, I'm not against that, but I guess big picture is I'm trying to figure out how we can protect the rest of us. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, the late night four way stop idea is used in a lot of municipalities. It's very smart for the reasons you stated. Um, all drivers slow down from all four directions, and there's a great deal of safety built into stopping and looking to your right and your left before proceeding. I think it uh, punishes no one. Jeff, I would rather have it a flashing red, especially at night. Therefore, I would not have to sit through an entire red light cycle with no. Um, Cross traffic. Um, Jeff, not only is this interesting, it's super low if no cost. Why not try it? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, I mean, obviously, you're not talking about more equipment. I don't know. I don't know what the cost is, you know, as to how you reprogram these things. I don't. But it it can't be that much. But I think this would be something that would really be worth trying as an experiment. And if you don't feel comfortable rolling it out all across the municipality. Okay, th- this is an easy one. Okay, let's say, let's take the 100 intersections, for example, in the city of Milwaukee, where we have the the, the highest number of collisions or examples of reckless driving or whatever. Let, let's, however you want to define it, let's take the 100 worst. And, and let's do that at this 100. And then let's go look at this and figure out whether it, it's worth to try to, to do it um, in, in other places um that's it jeff test it to begin at a few low-key um intersections jeff right of way doesn't mean you shouldn't be observant going through intersections especially at night of of course and and if you drive in these areas there's no question you know as you go into these intersections even if you've got the green light you want to look but this this provides that that added thing i mean let's be honest i mean how many of us you know, we've got the green light. We assume, hey, I've got the right of way. I mean, you don't slow down and look both ways. You just assume that other people are going to be paying attention as well. And that's the problem. Um, 
I, I think that's it. Jeff, I think uh, this argument has merit. I would take it further, and I think intersections that have been documented to be dangerous should start maybe at an early hour, perhaps 7 p.m., instead of 10 p.m. I, I'm I'm open to trying that. Jeff, I drive Silver Spring from 92nd to Port Road. Driving is out of control. And please understand, I'm not suggesting that this is going to be a magic bullet that's going to stop all the reckless driving and stop the accidents and stop somebody from, what was the story we talked about earlier, driving 110 miles an hour, high on methamphetamine, no driver's license, and smashing into a a car, rear-ending a car, and killing a person and severely injuring two others. I'm not claiming it's going to stop all of that. But if it's something that might at least give those of us who are responsible drivers more of a chance to protect ourselves and be aware of what's going on while we at the same time work on getting the really bad, dangerous, constant, chronic, reckless drivers um, off the street, why not? Jeff, I now look both ways even if I have a green light. I, I will tell you, I I find myself doing that as well. Um, but but at the same time, it's it's different. When you've got a green light, you know, you're not going to come to a complete stop, I don't think in most cases, before you go into an intersection because I, then, then you risk getting rear-ended by the car behind you who's not going to anticipate that you're going to come to a complete stop. I guess I look at this as just a, no, a very low or almost like one of our texters was saying, no-cost way of maybe – maybe giving us more of a chance to notice when you've got that bad driver coming to protect ourselves. And I think it's definitely something that's worth a try. Very little inconvenience, um, potentially a big upside. My comment would be, why not? Jeff, this idea also eliminates the tendency to rush through a yellow light, which does cause collisions. It's just a simple stop and go with virtually no traffic at that hour. Jeff, I like this one. Your topic reminds me of a joke. Guy's out driving, comes to a red light, speeds through it. His passenger yells, what are you doing? That light was red. Driver replies, it's okay. My brother does it all the time. They continue on to the next light. That light is green. The driver slams on the brakes and comes to a stop. Passenger yells, what are you doing? The light was green. Driver replies, my brother is out driving today. Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, I guess I just... I'm always looking at at common sense ways that we can try to make ourselves safer while we deal with the underlying problem. It's kind of like saying, okay, you know, we've got car thieves that are out there. Okay, don't don't leave your car unattended and running because, yeah, the big problem is that you've got people that are out there that are out there just looking to turn you into a victim, but don't make it easier for you to do that. And that's I think it's kind of the same sort of logic. And it wouldn't cost very much, if anything at all. Hmm, an idea to consider. One of our textures says, Jeff, the Dow is up 666 points, 666. I prefer it to be up 777. Actually, right now it is up 677 points. Got a little ways to go um so there there you go okay let us oh by the way i have another one of these i have another one of these stories that's just in this particular case it is an outrage but it's it's nobody's fault 
except members of the community. Remember, um, you know, Hillary Clinton famously said it takes a village to raise a child. And, and she was mocked by that. Um, but there, on some levels, th- there is an element of truth to that. And part of the problem with this out-of-control crime that we have around here, and, and whether it's in the city of Milwaukee or whether it's in Milwaukee County or whether it's in this region or whether it's in urban areas all across the country, part of this is the fact that um, you, you get the community that you deserve. I mean, if you vote for politicians that, that aren't serious about cracking down on crime, if you vote for judges who aren't going to come down on criminals, if you vote for district attorneys who want to go out of their way to not hold people accountable, you get the community you serve. But there's another level of that as well. And it, it started a number of years ago when you had this whole concept of the, the no snitching, the, the idea that the police and authorities are the enemy. And, and we're not going to cooperate with them. So the, the problem with that is if you take that attitude, you get the community you deserve because you can have an aggressive prosecutor. You know, you can have law enforcement that investigates a case. You can have a judge that is willing to hold people accountable. But still, if you don't have the community that's willing to cooperate, come forward, testify, provide the evidence so that authorities can get the people off the street, well, there's not a lot that people can do. All right, so here is the story as reported by Channel 12. Buck's post-game shooting suspect now out on bond. 21-year-old Lamont Siller, charged with 16 felony counts, is now out on signature bond due to trial delays. Now, before we say, oh, my God, how could this guy be out on a signature bond? Listen to the story, because it demonstrates part of the problem. And in my opinion, this isn't necessarily a problem with the DA's office. It's not a problem with the cops. It's not even a problem with the judge. All right, here's the way they reported on Channel 12. A suspect in a shooting that left 17 people injured in downtown Milwaukee is out on a signature bond as of yesterday. Lamont Siller, 21, is charged with 16 felony counts of first-degree reckless injury and use of a dangerous weapon um, stemming from the shooting. Okay, now this has to do with, like, the the shooting that, um, you know, occurred down on in the Water Street area last summer. Okay, so here's, here is what happened. Um, he was arrested, and in, in May of 2022, he demanded a, a speedy trial. Right. The case was supposed to go to trial um, earlier this week, I I believe. It was supposed to start on Tuesday. Um, It wasn't able to start. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But he's been held in jail on a bond that he hasn't been able to meet. So back in, uh, again, in May... His attorney says, look, this guy's got a right to a speedy trial. We want the trial. And the judge says, yeah, okay, you're, you're entitled to that. Here, I'm going to you know, continue the trial, but you've got that motion there. The court extended the demand in, in August. However, the prosecution still isn't ready to go. So the matter was supposed to go to trial this week. The prosecution wasn't ready to go. I'll tell you why in just a minute. And the defense says, look, here, here's the deal. We've demanded a trial. My guy is being held can't make bail, 
He is entitled to a speedy trial. You've got to do something. And the judge, in this case, it's Michael Hanrahan, who's had some really, really boneheaded decisions lately. But in this case, he says, look, here's, here's the problem. They demanded a speedy trial. The law says that because we could not comply with his demand for a speedy trial, we could start the trial in a timely fashion, I have no choice but to release him on a signature bond. And so what happened is they have now converted his cash bond that he couldn't make to a signature bond. And as we've talked about this before, a signature bond is simply where you sign a piece of paper um, saying, if I don't show up, I promise to pay. The signature bond is in the amount of $100,000. Now, that signature bond is not worth the paper it is printed on because I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to make a guess that Lamont Siller, 21, he does not have $100,000. So if he jumps bail or he violates some other terms and conditions of his release, you you can say, okay, well, you owe us $100,000. Well, good luck. Good luck with getting that. My guess is if you get 20 bucks out of the guy, you're probably lucky. So he's out on a $100,000 signature bond. He doesn't have to pay anything. He just promises that he is going to return. It gets worse. According to the story, he's on the wait list for a GPS system. One of the requirements is that he has to wear a GPS tracker, okay, um, not have any weapons, not contact victims, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But unfortunately, they don't have any GPS systems around. So while he waits, he is required to stay at home. But there's no monitoring to guarantee that he is at home. Once he gets the device, the court requires a curfew from 7 p.m. to 7 p.m. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. It, it's just it is completely ridiculous. You have a very very dangerous guy who, if he is convicted, is going to be going to prison for decades and deserves to go to prison for decades. Who's now been released on this signature bond, and you know whether he shows up for trial or not, it's probably six one half dozen the other pick him. Whether he commits a crime now that he has been released, six one half dozen the other pick him. But the problem, the underlying problem. That the DA's office didn't want the guy released. The judge clearly didn't want the guy released. But because he hasn't had his trial in a timely fashion, the law requires him to be released on a signature bond that I think we would all agree is ridiculous. This is putting the community at risk. It's putting the prosecution at risk. It's a really, really bad situation, but it's called by the law. The fundamental problem, though, is why wasn't the DA's office ready to go to trial? Right? That That's... That's the underlying reason, because this trial was supposed to start if the trial had been held last fall, that there would be no problem with the Speedy Trial Act. If the trial started on Tuesday, like it was supposed to, there would be no problem with the Speedy Trial Act. He would have gotten the trial, wouldn't have to be released, wouldn't have been dumped out into the community told, don't do this again and don't leave your home, ha, 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 or else we're going to go up for you after you for $100,000. None of this would have happened if the DA's office was ready to go to trial. So, all right, as somebody who's been very, very critical of John Chisholm and, and certainly hopes for the interest of this community that he doesn't run for re-election as the district attorney, and if he runs, hopes that somebody else who's more aggressive when it comes to law enforcement runs it and beats him. But, but regardless of that, the question is, why didn't he go to trial? Is this a fault of the district attorney? And the problem is, no, the, pro- the case has been delayed because prosecutors 
cannot get two of their key witnesses to testify. So in other words, this, you know, this village that Hillary Clinton says, you know, you, you need to, to raise a child, this village that we need to keep our, our city safe, it, it's come to a halt because the, the prosecution has key witnesses. And this is apparently witnesses that they think are important and vital to make the case. Because the only thing worse than taking this dangerous guy and releasing him on a $100,000 signature bond would be going to trial, knowing that he is guilty as you know what, but not being able to secure a conviction because you have people who, despite the fact that they have knowledge, they have relevant evidence, are refusing to give it. So rather than just going through the trial and not being able to secure a conviction because you've got witnesses who aren't cooperating, the district attorney's office is saying, no, we're, we're not we're not prepared to go to trial as of yet. So this this is a case where it's not the judge's fault. It's compelled by the statute. It's not the district attorney's fault. They really have no choice. The problem is you have people in the community who have information which could be used to keep dangerous people off the street, and they're not willing to do it. And that tells you all you need to know about, you know, what goes on. Unless people are willing to come forward and provide information and provide testimony and, and back up what they presumably told the police in the first place that were probably used to get the arrests in the first place, but unless they're willing to follow through with that, uh, you've got a dangerous guy that's going to be back out on the street, period. So th- this isn't a fault of the judge. It's not a fault of the cops. It's not a fault of the DA. And it's not really even a fault of the system. It's because when people who have information refuse to cooperate, this is something that is inevitable, and it's too bad. So very glad to have you with us. I, this is this whole thing with the Speedy Trial Act. You, you know, had a situation earlier this week. Guy was supposed to go on trial. He's been held on a cash bail that he can't meet. His trial has been delayed and delayed and delayed. The district attorney's office says we're, we're not ready to go with this because we've got key witnesses who won't cooperate. And the Milwaukee Circuit Court judge says, under the statute, I have no choice but to let this guy out on a signature bond. Now, it's a ridiculous bond under this circumstance, but it, it's what happens when in a situation like this, and I'm not faulting the district attorney's office, you get key witnesses who will not cooperate, and, and so they're just simply not ready to go to trial the, wor- the only worse thing than letting the guy out on a stupid low bond would be going to trial and having somebody who you believe or know in your heart of hearts is guilty as you know what, but but you can't get a conviction because witnesses won't cooperate. We're joined right now by Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski. Judge, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. You want to talk a little bit about the Speedy Trial Act? Sure. I- I'd like to give you and your listeners some perspective uh, as you know, of course, as a former prosecutor, um, defendants on any criminal case have a, a constitutional right to a fast, speedy public trial. And in Wisconsin, there's the speedy trial statute that requires in misdemeanors, if someone's held a trial within 60 days, and in felonies, a trial within 90 days of when the demand is made. Mm-hmm. I'm not commenting on this case specifically. But there's two problems that occur with the scenario that you've just discussed. The first one is nowadays, it's certainly not realistic for the most part in most major felonies, homicides, shooting cases for the DA's office in Milwaukee or anywhere else to be ready for a trial that oftentimes involves hundreds of exhibits, dozens of witnesses, DNA, forensics, to be ready in 90 days. Mm -hmm. That's just not 
realistic. That needs to be, in my view, changed by the legislature. It probably needs to be more in the range of 120 days to even six months on serious felonies. Again, class A, B, and C felonies, for example. It needs to be changed. It needs to be addressed by the legislature mm-hmm. and the governor. The second part is, as I heard you describe the situation, before you got to the punchline, I knew mm-hmm. from my experience that the problem was going to be lack of witness cooperation. Right. So in this case and on similar cases, you're right. You can't hold the DA's office responsible for that. But it really boils down to one of the things that bothers me as a, as a resident and as an elected official and we have a homicide rate that three years in a row has exceeded 200 people. And you see, of course, as do I, repeatedly on the news, people asking themselves and crying out and demanding, we need to change this. We need to make a difference. This can't go on. Why does this go on year after year after year? Well, this is a real-world example of what can be done to help reduce the homicide rate, reduce the criminality or rate of crime in Milwaukee and in Milwaukee County. Right. People that are witnesses need to cooperate. The DA's office in Milwaukee, for sure, in my experience, has great difficulty getting people to just come to court and see and tell a jury what they saw. Right. Right. And as we, as I was discussing earlier, the, the only worse thing than, again, speaking in generalities, than releasing somebody who shouldn't be out on the street because they're a flight risk or they're a danger or whatever, releasing them on a low bail is going to trial knowing or feeling strongly that you're not going to be able to get a conviction beyond a reasonable doubt because witnesses aren't cooperating because then there's no accountability at all. Right, exactly. And in cases like the one you discussed, and in general, Judges like myself or Judge Hanrahan and others don't have any discretion. And and you know, and your listeners should know, that judges have lots of discretion in lots of areas. But when a statute says shall, we our discretion's been taken away. And the legislature has decided that if a defendant makes a speedy trial demand, if it got their 90 days, it's noted by the court. If the DA's office is not Mm -hmm. ready, barring almost any unforeseen circumstance, we have to, as a judge, Follow the statute and release that person. Now, Judge, my guess so is, let me My guess is also that defense attorneys are wise to that. So, my my guess is, and I'm I'm not in the Milwaukee County Circuit Court System, you know, every day. But my guess is, more and more defense attorneys, they might not even be ready to go to trial for sixty or ninety days, but they're making these demands because it starts the clock ticking. And if the DA's office can't accommodate it, it gets the clients out on bail. Right. That's true, I think. And I think a lot of defense attorneys, if you ask them, certainly off the record, and some would even say on the record, they can't realistically be prepared for a major case. Again, with one that involves DNA, forensic evidence, 100 plus exhibits, they can't realistically manage a caseload of 50, 75, maybe 120 cases and be ready in 90 days themselves. So sometimes they make the speedy trial demand Obviously, right. should be with their client's consent, no sure. matter what, but they make it on behalf of the client. Sometimes they make it more of their own volition advising the client, but it's a problem for the courts that needs to be addressed. Uh, Judge Borowski, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I, I appreciate the perspective. And yet, the, the, now people would say, well, criminal trials don't always go to trial in 90 days. There there are certain provisions. There's, there, there's certain findings a judge can make that will allow you to temporarily suspend that, you know, time that could be otherwise excluded. But at a certain point, 
um, the Speedy Trial Act is the Speedy Trial Act. And, and I think the judge makes a very good point that maybe the legislature look, needs to look at extending this. But, but the bottom line is this would not have been a problem in this particular case were it not for the fact that people were not willing to cooperate. And if they're not willing to cooperate, what it sounds like is going to happen is somebody who has done some very, very dangerous, bad things may, in fact, be back out on the street to do more bad things. And that's not good for anybody. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, Eric Bilstead, according to the Daily Mail, we have, we have breaking news. Oh, yeah? Okay. Okay. Aaron Rodgers, new girlfriend. New girlfriend. Oh, okay, right. now let's let us let us review the bidding. Like some of the some of the the girlfriends of Aaron Rodgers o- over the years. Mm-hmm, I, you know, mm-hmm. you you had um, well, there was um, Olivia Munn. Yeah, remember the the mm-hmm. actress? Yep. She was like in the the X Men movie and stuff like that. Then there was Kelly Rohrbach. She was a Sports Illustrated swimsuit okay. model. Got yeah. got her. Right. Then there was Danica Patrick. Remember mm-hmm. the, race the race car, car driver? driver? Yeah. That that was yeah. a long term relation. Then there was Shailene Woodley. Remember, they, ah, yeah, the they actress, were yeah. the actress. They were uh, the reports emerged February of 2021 that they were an item. And Weren't they engaged for a Yeah, minute? yeah. He announced that uh, they were, in fact, engaged. And um, when he was accepting the Most Valuable Player Award, you know, he, he thanks his fiance, you know, about all, all that. So they were engaged. But um, apparently a year after they announced they were engaged, February of 2022, well, all good things come to an end, and and they broke up. Mm. So then, after after this, this is my favorite one. Okay, so after Shailene Woodley, he ended up in a relationship with podcaster and social media influencer Blue B L U of Earth. Remember Blue of Earth? <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. Real named Charlotte uh, Brereton. Um, they were linked together. Um, they were spotted with similar tattoos shortly afterwards. Now, see that's. That that's really. I have a I have a friend. I have a friend who 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 got his who got his first wife's name tattooed on his arm. Ah, okay. Now the the the, the thing is like the, the operative phrase is first wife. You know, <laughs> you know. Didn't and, last. And okay. now, right, and now so you've got like the second wife, and it's on his arm. It's not even in a in a non visible sort of way. So anytime you like wear a short sleeve shirt or take off your shirt, you know, you've got the. You've got the name, so on it's there. still there, is what right? You're oh no, it, it's still there. And I, I've always said, well, you you know, can't you like turn this into? I forget what the name is off the top of my head, but I'm always kind of teasing about it. Can't you like turn it into mom or something yeah, like yeah. that? And it's just oh, no, but it's it's like, huh? That's interesting. I decided to get the first wife's name tattooed on your. Okay, now if I'm Aaron Rodgers, all right, I, you know, and again, it, it's fine. You, you've got the, this sort of track record of you know going through different relations and subs, subs, relationships and stuff. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I'm going to be in a hurry to like get like matching tattoos or something. <laughs> it doesn't like that. sound like him. You're right. It, it doesn't. So, anyways, um, so who is he with now? Come okay. On. Well, okay. This this well, this is according to now the the Daily Mail. Okay. So you can take that for what it's worth. And you actually you knew this, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, apparently it has been reported superstar quarterback is in a fledgling relationship with the 26-year-old daughter of the Milwaukee Bucks owner, Wes Edens. Her name is Mallory Edens, and um, they are constantly pictured at, at NBA games. And Now, this is according to the Daily Mail. So I, I can think of at least, I, I remember noticing it, it's two or three different times whenever Rodgers goes to a game, 
that he's been sitting next to her. And I wasn't sure if it's just because he's sitting in the owner's seat, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. she happens to be there. But it's happened multiple times over the years where he's been at a Bucks game and she's been sitting next to him. Okay, well, you know, we... And we, she's easy to notice. I Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so this is... Again, I you know, and the, you know the interesting thing is he is a he's a, a small owner of the, yeah, the Bucks. Remember, yes. he, 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 he is bought, an investor. He is yeah. an investor in the Bucks. So this would be you know if he's doing that, he he's like kind of like dating the daughter of his business partner. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I guess that's true. Technically, right. in a sense, and and I don't. I mean, again, I don't know. This is the Daily Mail, so you can consider this. Um, I don't. I don't know if if I was. I know you're going through this kind of romantic history, and you got a guy that that's that is is dating you on the rebound after being with Blue of Earth. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that could be a good thing, right? Maybe it, it, well, it, it could only be. go up from here. So right? event, and then then according again, it's the Daily Mail. So consider this uh, this they're they're reporting that for the like the last Packers game, she was seen um, wearing a Rogers jersey watching the Packer game. Um, oh, a couple of our texters are waiting in on this. This is a fact. This is a fact. I've seen them out in a private setting, just the two of them. Okay, well, oh, all right. there you, you heard it here. There you go. You, you heard it. You heard it here. So if he has a big game and throws for four hundred yards, and you know they, they beat the Detroit Lions and go on a run in the playoff, well, you know maybe maybe this is some of the impetus to that. Excellent. That's great. I'm happy for him. If he's I, happy, I'm happy. If he's happy, right. And if and if they they lose badly, I don't think they're going to. But you know maybe there's there's another yeah, woman in his life that you can blame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. Okay, the the, the um, this, this Wisconsin State Journal had this big headline saying, "Okay, maybe maybe tomorrow night will be maybe Sunday night will be Aaron Rodgers' last game at Lambeau Field because the player the Packers aren't in line to have any home playoff games this year, so it doesn't matter. They're not going to be back playing at Lambeau regardless of how far they go in the playoffs if they make the playoffs. But the the point was, well, he could retire next year. And my point was. He's got fifty a fifty eight million dollar guaranteed contract. I mean, there ain't any way in God's green earth that Aaron Rodgers is leaving fifty eight million dollars on the table. Now, I'm not arguing he should, but but I don't care how much money you have. Nobody walks away from a guaranteed fifty eight million. Am I, am I right? I agree with you. He also likes the attention. I think he likes playing football. I think he likes the cameras on him. He likes to have the opportunity to say things that might. You know, bug a couple of people. So yeah, I think he, I think he'll keep playing. Yeah, well, 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 right. He's got fifty-eight million reasons mm-hmm. to do this, and I don't, and I don't fault him for saying this. But there's no indication over Rogers' entire career that he was has ever been willing to walk away leaving money on the table. Whether it's a lot of like the new contracts and the stuff, it's not like some quarterbacks say, "Hey, I'll, I'll leave a little bit of money on the table so you can use it to hire this receiver or that receiver or make the team a little." That's yeah. never, and, and I'm not faulting him for that. Uh, you know, if if you can get it, you can get it. But there's nothing in Aaron Rodgers' career which has ever suggested to me that he's willing to leave money on the table <laughs> and stuff. Much less, and plus. You got a guaranteed contract for fifty-eight million dollars. You got the rest of your life to play golf or fly mm-hmm. off to right. Mallorca and you know, like do whatever and kind of weird ayahuasca. Or, 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 right? Is that what? It, is that how you pronounce it? Ayahuasca? <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. It's just you know, you, know, you do magic mushrooms or whatever yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're going course. to do. You know, you get your entire life to do that. And no way he's walking away from fifty-eight million. Now maybe the Packers trade him. I don't think that's likely either. But um, 
Aaron Rodgers, one of our texts, is saying, why does anybody care? I, that's a fair question, but we do. Right? <laughs> you, we, we do. Just throw touchdowns, buddy. That's, <laughs> that's all. Just throw, throw scores. Right, yeah. throw touchdowns and stop muttering under your breath and shaking your head when a receiver doesn't run exactly <laughs> yeah. the right pattern and stuff. Just then, all the time. And it, it, it would drive me crazy. It would, it would just, it would drive me crazy. I just wonder how the teammates react to that. I'm trying to think if any of our, our teammates or colleagues or every time like somebody that did the news walked out of here, if I'm just shaking my head Murray, going, I can't, I, I can't believe it. I, they, they, they missed that. I mean, how, how would you feel like, <laughs> right. like that? And I mean, I understand you're Aaron Rodgers and so you have some cachet about that, but yeah. you know, just be a team player. All right. That's our breaking news. And throws TDs. Keep throwing touchdowns. Keep throwing touchdowns. All right. There's jack wagons all over the world. Let's talk about the big one in Washington, D.C. Stick around. Well, another ballot. Still no close. Well, maybe, maybe a little closer, but they're still not where they need to do. It's House Speaker vote. You need 218. Uh, McCarthy has 214. Uh, there are six Republicans who have voted for somebody other than him. You need 218. So once again, the, this drama continues. Peggy Noonan has a real interesting column, p- big piece in the Wall Street Journal today. And it's calling it said the headline is normal Republicans stand up to the fringe. The party is struggling to become something new. It has to find a way to restore its peace and its poise. I, I thought this was interesting, and I wanted to offer a couple comments on it. And that, While this whole thing has been playing out, as I have been saying, see, to me, I've always believed that politics is the art of the possible. By that, I mean I was arguing this yesterday. If I were in Congress, the reason I would go to Congress is because I want to try to get something done. If you get a limited time, whether it's a term or however many terms you have, you, you, you want to get something done. And especially if you are in the majority party. I mean, you talk to, you talk to, I have a number of Republican congressman friends who talk about the years when they were out of power. And it's very, very frustrating because you can't get anything done at all. But, you know, when your party is in power, it is an opportunity to try to do things. And I guess I would, I would want to do stuff. I mean, that's why you would go. And like I always say, politics being the art of the possible, by that I mean if you've got, if you've got a bill and there's 80% of the bill is really, really good stuff, stuff that you believe in, and there's 20% that you don't like. Well, I mean, I'm going to take the 80%. That's just me. And then I'm going to say, look, I recognize this isn't perfect, and I recognize this is a problem or that is a problem, but I can't get the 80% that I really like unless – I'm willing to hold my nose and go along with the 20%. Oh, okay. Now, there's some people who say, no, it, it's got to be perfect. Well, the problem is what's perfect for you might be different than what's perfect for me. And we've got 435 people in the House of Representatives. Everybody's going to have their different ideas of perfect. So if we can agree that 80% is good, why don't we just kind of take 80% and, and move on? Because otherwise, you get nothing done at all. And what's happened and what is going on now is you have a small, a very, very small number, four, five, six people who are bomb throwers who have decided that they're not about governing, that they're all about themselves, and they're all about putting their own personal interests ahead of the interest of their colleagues, their party, and, and their country. Here's one of the things that, um, that – let me read just a portion of what Peggy Noonan writes today – um, the problem with the Freedom Caucus people, and 
the, the Freedom Caucus is the, the really the, the hardcore conservatives, the, the 20 that are probably the furthest right. And, and many of those have come around, by the way, and are voting for McCarthy, but there's still a handful who aren't. The problem with the Freedom Caucus people is and always has been that they do not have the numbers to win to dominate. America is a big, broad place, and America doesn't like them. They represent a tendency within the Republican Party in which they are seceding from the establishment, the swamp. They think throwing snares and making Congress ungovernable is progress. It isn't progress, and it's connected to the endless loop of performance art that is taking over our politics. Once, you had to be a legislature, legislator and pass bills. Now you have to play a legislator on media. You do TV hits. You enact indignation. You show you're the kind of tough person who gets things done. You don't have to do anything. If that's your business model and these people are in business and they're fundraising off of this week's spectacle, it isn't bad for you if your Republican leadership founders, flounders, they're all squishes and rhinos anyways, or the Democrats take over, you get to be the fiery opposition. They tell themselves they're speaking truth to power. But real conservatism involves an ability to see and respect reality and to move constructively within it, nudging it in desirable directions. Amen. Let's... Let's get done what we need to get done. Many of the people that are staging this stunt are stupid and highly emotional, especially the men. Most have no historical depth. If they have little respect for institutions, it's because they have no idea how institutions help us live as a nation, and they've never helped build one. They aren't serious. They don't have a plan, only an attitude and a talking point. They present themselves as freedom fighters, but that isn't what they are. I would actually like Representative Lauren Boebert, if just once she would identify herself during roll call as a member from late Weimar, the late Weimar Republic, or Matt Getz, who apparently was being cursed at after this last vote by a number of his Republican colleagues, or if Matt Getz insisted his name be recorded as the devil's flying monkey. I love it. When you think about Matt Getz, that's a perfectly appropriate thing. The guy is the devil's flying monkey. This fight has been going on since 2015, the year when Mr. Trump rode down the elevator, and three months later, John Boehner stepped down as Speaker, his leadership made impossible by the Freedom Caucus. Um, Someone's going to have to win the fight. A hardcore group of 20 have so far stopped Kevin McCarthy, but 10 times that number supported him, including moderates, moderates, centrists, old and new-style conservatives. The 200 have to find a way to reestablish their power and face down the fringe. They're being pushed around by a small minority, which once again is being painted as the face of the party. And the 200 need to push back with or without Mr. McCarthy. Flood the airwaves. Take the floor. Go for broke. For eight years, you've tried to humor and mollify. It hasn't worked. Show America what's normal. Show America what normal, serious Republicans look like. It's your party, too. Normies arise. I love that sentiment. Normies uh, arise and say, look, the, the face of the Republican Party isn't that this handful of people who are out on the fringe who really don't care about governing, who are all about themselves and who come from these very, very conservative districts where they're, they're safe, where people love the fact that, gee, I, I love the fact that my guy is willing to, like, shut down all of government. Well, okay, if that's what you're all about, you, you've, you've, got a, you've got a problem here. And this is kind of playing out. I mean, I've said this repeatedly. I wonder how the 200-plus Republicans who have been supporting Kevin McCarthy, and I don't care about Kevin McCarthy one way or the other, but it's this process to allow yourself to be held hostage by a handful of the, in this case, the, the fringe, who are 
you know, threatening, demanding, throwing fits, and refusing to allow stuff to get done. And I guess the really scary thing is unless unless the vast majority can figure out a way to get these people in line, this is going to be what you have for the next two years, where you get absolutely nothing done because you have four or five people who are going to hang out and just refuse to cooperate. And that is a recipe for disaster, number one, for the country. It's also a recipe for disaster for the Republican Party because two years from now, all right, when Republicans are trying to take back the Senate and the odds are very much in their favor because Democrats are defending a lot more seats than Republicans are, including a bunch of seats that typically have been won by Republicans, you know, th- this stuff that's playing out right now, that's going to be front and center on the news. So I, I do. I mean, I, I think I agree exactly with what uh, Peggy Noon is saying. Normies arise. Mainstream Republicans, from moderate Republicans to conservative Republicans, you can't allow yourself to be held hostage by a handful of the lunatic fringe. And that is precisely what is happening now. And that's a bigger issue than whether Kevin McCarthy is the speaker or not. doesn't matter whether it's Steve Scalise or somebody else that takes that role. You can't allow a handful of the fringe to dominate and be the one that essentially calls the tune. And unfortunately, that's what's happening now. I don't know what the end game is, but color me frustrated. Eric Bilstadt being swamped with text messages about Aaron Rodgers. One of our texts is, why does anybody care about Aaron Rodgers through the day? Uh, well, trust me, a lot of people do it. Can, can you show what, what does she look like? What are the pictures? pictures? Who exactly now? is this? Do we yes. need to set up a keyword? <laughs> uh, that, that's it. Well, again, it, it's the Daily Mail, but it, some of our other texters are saying that they have seen them together. So, so Aaron Rodgers, huh? 39, dating 26-year-old daughter of Buck's owner, Wes Edens. Her name is Mallory Edens. So. Mm-hmm. I just we went on, we want we wish the hap, we wish the couple yes. lots, lots of happiness yes. and stuff and um it's got a you know he, he's had an interesting record there's just no question about it you know there's just, <laughs> you're talking about the football field or something else no, I was talking about something else you know I mean we went through the you know it's it's just it's it's sort of interesting but yes for everybody that's texting and says we don't care about this trust me there's about fifty people that do <laughs> that's it. Okay, it must be official because TMZ now has, has... They're on it? They're, they're on it. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 you want to get the latest on, on at least allegedly Aaron Rodgers' love life, and <laughs> it's up there. At Jeff Wagner 620 w <laughs> Maybe she'll be at Lambeau Field on Sunday. Who knows? Maybe she'll be at Lambeau... I, again, I just... You know, we just, we just pass this stuff on. All right. Palermo's Pizza, which has been a sponsor for the last year of our Pop Culture Corner, they are back for another year... I'm back. It's the first pop culture corner of 2023, and it starts in just a moment. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. For people who care about these things, if, if you want to see a spike in your Twitter followers, put up a picture of Aaron Rodgers' new girlfriend. <laughs> oh, like, like, like. Um, our number eight. And if you do follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. There's a lot more stuff up there than that. Okay, this is Pop Culture Corner. If you are new, and it is sponsored by our friends at Palermo's Pizza. Pop Culture Corner time brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. Um, there is no better way to celebrate than with Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. And as part of the sponsorship, which is going to run another year, 
one of our callers, got to be callers, not texters, in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Charlie, will get our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which is coupon good for two Palermo's pizzas and this really fancy pizza cutter that I can't even get and a whole bunch of other good stuff as well. So if you haven't heard Pop Culture Corner before, what we do, this is the segment where we put aside, like the big voice guy says, the heavy lifting and we stop worrying about, you know, what's going to happen in Washington or what's happening in Ukraine. And we have some fun. Um, sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's travel, sometimes it's dining. It's just what, whatever kind of tickles my fancy uh, going into the weekend. Uh, today, we are talking about binge-worthy television. Here's, here's what happened. Over the, over the, the holidays, I, I was off, so we, we didn't go anywhere. You know, We were sitting around, and I found myself, I, I got drawn, and I was channel surfing one day. It was last week, and I, I came across... One of these obscure channels, like a, a CNN variant of this, and they were having a, a marathon of the West Wing, which, you know, was a TV show that ran in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And um, it was it ran for seven years. Martin Sheen played the president to tell you what a good show it was, at least in my opinion. It was one of these things. It's a liberal fantasy. I mean, so the politics are, are almost completely not mine. All the liberals are portrayed as these, you know, high minded people. And the Republicans are portrayed as like in many cases, like the, these evil conniving folks. But but the bottom line is it was really, really well done, I think, especially the first four years. And even though the politics aren't mine, I, I just I, I watched it. So I got I got into it and I picked it up about the midway through the, the second season. I've seen it all a couple times, but I found myself spending several hours a day watching, you know, watching this. And I actually I, I taped a bunch of them just uh, I taped a bunch of them just so I could watch some of my favorite episodes. And I, I got drawn in. It was it was a great binge worthy show. I am in the process of binging on a couple others right now. There's a, it's a violent show with Forrest Whitaker on Hulu called Godfather of Harlem that I've heard good things about, but now I'm in the middle of that. I'm working through the first season of that, and I've got a couple other shows that are on my agenda over the course of the next couple weeks. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Pop Culture Corner this week, in honor of my spending time with the West Wing, the most binge-worthy TV show. And if you had a week off, what's the show? It could be a current show. It could be something like Yellowstone, for example. I still haven't seen any of those. It could be an old show like The Sopranos or something like that. Binge-worthy television, 855-616-1620. Back with your calls in just a minute. And as always, Wagner's Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. And Pop Culture Corner, of course, presented by Palermo's Pizza. We're talking about uh, binge-worthy TV. Uh, let's see, a lot of text on this. Jeff, The Monster of Wall Street. I just started on that. That's uh, about Bernie Madoff. It's new on Netflix. I saw the first one. Very good. Uh, Jeff, uh, 19, um, yeah, 1883 was very, very good. That's one of the precursors to Yellowstone. I watched the first episode of that, and, and I'm going to watch more. I, I liked it. Jeff, definitely Yellowstone. I have never seen Yellowstone, but I'm going to... You know, I'm going to definitely watch it. Jeff, for me, it's Friday Night Lights. Never watched that TV show. I, I saw the movie and thought that that was really good. Jeff, I love The Handmaiden's Tale on Hulu Network. Um, I have 
I have not watched that either, but that's on my list. The the gal that's the star of that, whose name is escaping me off the top of my head, she was the she played the president's daughter on the West Wing. Jeff, um, I'm old school. I enjoy watching Frasier with Kelsey Grammer. Jeff, for me, it's Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. You know, I I love Seinfeld as well. You can't can't go wrong with that. Jeff, for me, it's Hell on Wheels, which was the show that was on AMC about um, I don't know the building the railroad uh, to the West Coast. That was at least the first couple seasons I thought were very, very good. Jeff, for me, it's The Wire. That's the um, HBO show. Ran for five years. Um, it was it was amazing how realistic that was because I mean that was that was talking about the drug trade in in Baltimore. I was a federal prosecutor and I ran lots of wiretaps and stuff. Um, a couple I thought that was up and down, but the first season and the, certainly the third and fourth seasons I thought were absolutely great. All right, let's start with. Dave and Beaver Dam. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Um, Breaking Bad. Yeah, I can't go wrong with Breaking Bad. It's just, it doesn't, and it's one of those that it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it, you can still watch it all from beginning to end. Oh, I've watched that series three times. And, and I don't know if you're like me, Dave, but whenever I watch it, and I watched it when it was on the air, and I've watched it again, I've binged it probably once or twice, but still when I watch those episodes, there's stuff I've forgotten about, or there's stuff I haven't noticed, or I forgot this character, or e- even if you know what happens to him, you still get drawn in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, great characters. It, absolutely. No, you're, you're exactly right. And now, it was a show, as, as I say, I, I think a lot of times shows go on too long. Um, Breaking Bad, I think, was just the perfect amount of time. I think The Sopranos, for example, is a great show, just an absolutely great TV show. But I think it went on a year or two too long. I think what they ended up doing is they started, they just started repeating storylines. Now, they, they changed the characters' names a little bit, but it was really the same story a couple times because they ran out of, of ideas. Let's talk to uh, Kyle. Kyle in Milwaukee. You're in WTMJ. I'm sorry, Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, good afternoon. Julie, gotcha. All right, let me let me see. Do we have? Okay, let me let's let us work this out. Let me hang up there. Help me out there. Let's hang up that phone. Okay, let's try. Kyle in Milwaukee. Kyle, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Good. Okay, your binge-worthy show. Uh, number one, The Office. Okay. There's a couple other ones like uh, New Girl and Seinfeld, but number one, The Office. You know, it it's funny. I'm I'm going to give that a chance. I I just when it was on, I, I'd watch it occasionally. I think it's one that you really got to watch from the beginning to get into. I, I watched. I would watch it sporadically, and I never quite got into it. But I think that's because I probably never gave it a chance. My guess is, if I started from the beginning and really saw the quirks of the characters and stuff, I would get sucked in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, we've got Don in Green Bay. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, great show as usual. Thank you, sir. Um, I love Ozark. I love Ozark because, like the Sopranos, you end up rooting for bad people. Yeah. You know, nobody on that show is any decent human being, but you're pulling for that family the whole time. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, and I love that aspect. Right. And this is another one on my list. I watched the first season of Ozark 
and I kind of got drawn in, and then for whatever reason, I, I, I haven't gone back to it, but that's definitely on my list because what that ran five seasons. That just oh. wrapped up, right? Five, I think five years. So I'm, yep, I yep. am, I am going to go back. I, I liked it, but you're exactly right. Everybody's despicable. You know, everybody's horrible. Yeah, you're in for a roller coaster if you rejoin that. The next four seasons are excellent. Okay, all right. On, on your advice, but it is, it is on my, it is on my list, and I want. There's just that's part of the problem. There, there's just so much good stuff. Uh, so much good stuff that is out there. Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Greetings, Jeff. Uh, mine is person of interest, partly because of what, the, what we're finding out more and more with AIs and what they can do. It's a uh, reclusive billionaire uses kind of breaks into the uh, artificial intelligence he created, but uses information that to help uh, people who are about to be in dire straits, uh, mm-hmm. along with the help of a ex-government agent. Yeah, I, you know, I, Dave... By Jim Caviezel. And, and Dave, you have obviously tr- uh, triggered the interest of my producer, Charlie, because you are the winner of our Palermo's prize package this week. So congratulations. Thank you very much. And that's slicker than snot on a doorknob. <laughs> okay, well, th- thanks for going. Well, okay, we've got that. And, and I've never seen Person of Interest. Um, I, it was a CBS show that ran for about five years. Never saw it. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, two shows. Uh, the first season of True Detective is mind-blowing, yeah. and then Fargo is also really good. Hey, I hear they're coming out with another season of True Detective. It's, it's been gone for a few years, but I hear they're coming. HBO's going to, sometime next year, it's coming back. Yeah, uh, that first season with Matthew McConaughey is, is just, it's really, really good. And Woody Harrelson, too, right? Fargo is yeah. kind of picked up on uh, all the, uh, I don't know, little subtleties of living in the yeah. North here. Yeah, you know, it, it, no, it's funny. I mean, Mike, thanks for calling. It's funny you talk about like like binge watching because a few years, eh, maybe a year or so ago, I, I just I, I watched all the seasons of Fargo. The, the, not that we're not talking about a movie, but we're talking about the TV show that is kind of loosely based on that. And they change every year. I think they're coming out with it's been two years or so, but I think they're coming out with another uh, edition of of that, which is more present time. And I thought. I think Fargo, the TV show, it, it's up and down. I thought the first year was great. I think some years have been better than others, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely interesting. Let's talk to let's see. We got Jack in Milwaukee. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, um, sir. I ended up. Thank you. I ended up actually binge watching Downton Abbey because I was working while it was on, and so. I ended up getting it from the library and having to do uh, watch it that way and did for, I think, five days. I did one season a day. Right. It was amazing. Oh, okay. Well, here, here, here's my story. Okay. So my wife correctly point, we, we, we like different kind of TV and she's always like, okay, we, we never watch stuff together, but it's because we like, like different sort of stuff. So we started watching Downton Abbey. I liked it. She liked it. So I'm thinking, okay, this is something we could watch together. Well, she didn't want to wait for me. Like, I, I'm, I'm, like, doing stuff like the radio show and stuff. She's watching this. So next thing I know, I, you know, okay, we're, we're going to watch it season one. We're going to watch episode six tonight. No, no, no. I'm already in the middle of season two. You know, it's like you wanted to watch something together. And, and it was, yeah, I, I mean, I found it to be, I, I thought it was really good. I didn't watch it when it was first on, but it was a fun show to come back and, and revisit. It was. I really enjoyed it. I liked the pageantry, the costumes, yeah. I mean, the accents. 
Yeah. And, and the language, that was just so much fun. Yeah, no, no right. That, no, I get, and it, it's, a, look, thanks for, I mean, it's a, look, it, it's a giant soap opera. Okay, that, that's, that's what it is. But it was sort of, it was kind of interesting. I still, I haven't seen the movies, but I saw, the, but it was one of these funny things. Because again, Fran, she's like, we don't watch stuff together. And I'm saying, that's because you like the Hallmark stuff. And I like to watch The Godfather of Harlem. And there's like no in between here. So we'd have that conversation. But I thought we were going to settle on Downton Abbey, but she just couldn't wait for me. Just blew, <laughs> blew through it all. Ah. Uh, we we love the women, no question about it. All right, first pop culture corner of the year is now in the books. Thank you for participating. Thanks to Palermo's. Like I say, they're back for another year for the sponsorship. And next week, we're going to do this all again.